I suppose when you're first introducing yourself, let's just say I'm putting a bio together for Twitter or something, who would I say I am? So my Twitter bio is that I'm a mum and a wife. I'm an Anglican priest. Uh, that I love God, I love people, I'm quirky. Slave to cats. Uh, friend to LGBT community. Just absolutely in awe of where I am and what I do. Yeah, and I'm Elaine. What's brought me to Loughborough is the fact that you're a female reverend and pioneering, I think, in some ways, just by being female in the church. Mm. But maybe you can expand on other ways that you might be pioneering as opposed to the broad female in church being pioneering? Um, I think when I talk about pioneering in what I'm doing, um, only very recently we've women have been ordained, uh, really in the big scheme of things. Ministering in a self-supporting capacity in that I work in a secular job as well. The secular work side of what I do in ministry is starting to change shape to the point where um, in perhaps two or three years it might not exist. So um, that wasn't expected but is happening. So I'm kind of walking that path along with my husband Mark and because we work together that's that's the nature of my secular job. I work in the family motorcycle shop. Uh, so um, looking now at what's next in ministry has led me to explore prison chaplaincy, a model of ministry that's been on my mind for a number of years, something that's really, can't explain how, but has just really got to me at heart level. Um, so having the opportunity to explore that recently going on a training placement meant that uh, I spent, what, three months in a prison and fell in love with the ministry, fell in love with being a chaplain uh, and it felt entirely right um, and as I'm going along and experiencing more of that it's becoming quite clear that this is where I feel I'm being called to um, the hole that fits this square peg that is me I suppose because it's changing shape so rapidly um, it is pioneering in ways. Let's go right back. Are you uh, are you surprised that you're in ministry? <laughs> when did it all start? <laughs> yeah, I am surprised. I'm surprised every day, actually. I pinch myself a lot. I think I must have been about 25, 26, just after I'd had my eldest daughter, who's now almost 19. Um, and just feeling, uh, I just can't explain, it was just... a an inexplicable urge to go and sit in the church up at the abbey where we've been today and just sit and look at that hanging cross great big wooden cross christ crucified just hanging from chains from the ceiling and uh, i can't explain how or why i ended up there or even felt the urge to go but it was just something that was beyond my comprehension it was a magnetism that i just can't describe but just constantly wondering, why am I here? Why am I here? And that kind of panned out over a number of years, perhaps about 10 or 12 years, um, until it, it, 
I, I would be there so regularly and uh, decided then that um, I needed to commit to going to church. So I did um, and started going to um, the church at Breeden on the Hill. And I felt like I'd come home spiritually I suppose um, I really did feel like I'd come home and that this was where I was meant to be coming all along um, and so I just I got heavily into the um, life of the of that church uh, until the day came when I felt that some uh, I needed to make some kind of a commitment which for me at the time I thought was being confirmed because I wasn't confirmed um, at the time and I thought, you know, this this is what it is. This is what this uh, draw, this urge, is. that's what it is. So I, I went through the process of confirmation. I was confirmed in 2010, which in the big scheme of things really isn't very long ago. Um, and that was wonderful and it was meant to be and it felt entirely right. And then um, I thought that that urge would then wear off. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. It just got stronger and stronger. And, and in the end, I had to start looking at it again, giving it space and time and saying, right, there's something else going on here. Um, because that urge has come back, but this time it's much, much stronger. And that's when I had, I ended up having a conversation with my vicar at Breeden on the, at, on the hill at the time. And he said, I think I know what's going on. Um, so I'm going to send you to a priest whose job it is to help you to find out what's going on. And so began the very long process to ordination. How did your parents react? <laughs> oh dear, right, it's quite a funny story this. Um, we frequently gather for dinner, the whole family. When we get together there's ten of us. And it was <clears throat> my parents' turn to host us all for dinner. And by this time, I'd already had that conversation with my husband, the tearful conversation on the sofa. I've got something to tell you. Um, he must have dreaded what I was going to say next, but I told him that I was feeling called into the church and into ministry. Um, so <laughs> we sat down at the, at the dinner table and I plucked up the courage and I said, there's something that I need to tell you all. And my mum looked at my sister and she mouthed the words to her wait for it she wants to be a vicar <laughs> and that was back then that was my mum I think everybody else knew before I did so when you sat down with Mark he's there thinking what I mean he must have been relieved when it was just becoming a vicar just becoming a vicar yeah no I'm not leaving you I've not met someone else don't worry um but I'm feeling called into the church uh and he said what what to be a vicar I said yes I think so um and then he well he he sat quietly for a little while and pondered what I'd said and you know I started to panic thinking oh you know, this is pretty big, really. This is a big thing to dump on your husband, isn't it? Um, but actually, he just said, you know, whatever it is that you have to do, um, do it and we're behind you all the way. So then the discernment process, how much fun was that? <laughs> it was awful. It was just, uh, it was, 
But maybe so, tell tell us what it is as well. What does it entail? Process, right, okay. The Church of England's discernment process is around 18 months to two years, whereby you meet regularly with a DDO, as they're known, or Diocesan Director of Ordinance. That's a priest whose job it is to walk with um, candidates at the time, is, is how we are known, candidates for ordination, to walk through that process of... Uh, praying together, discerning together, asking questions together, um, laughing, crying, despairing, being joyful about what God's doing with you and all of the highs and lows that that process involves as you come to learn more about yourself initially and then more about what God's doing with you. <clears throat> so my um, my discernment was almost two years of just, I, th I think I need to say first that um, I'm not comfortable in my skin as a priest. Um, I've never felt like priestly material, um, but I know that God calls all kinds of people to all kinds of ministries and you know I can roll that phrase out quite confidently. Um, but I'm very aware of the fact that I am you know, very human. Um, and I think what I had done over the years, I had placed the priesthood up on a pedestal that I just couldn't possibly attain. Um, and coming to understand by the end of that process uh, and being told by people who knew what they were talking about, that yes, I was being called to ordain ministry, um, was really hard to hear and even harder to take in and even harder to accept. So for that reason, my esteem was self-esteem was very low in that regard. And I really struggled for two, nearly two years. Um, and every time I met with the DDO, I went home and I cried because I just thought, what am I doing here? Why am I even bothering? Um, you know what, God, you really don't want me. Um, so why am I putting myself through all of this heartache to be a priest? You just... It was hard, really hard. Um, I think in some ways, I don't think I've ever really shaken off that feeling. Although I'm here now, you know, I'm doing the ministry, I'm loving it, I absolutely love being a priest. And I love where I am. Um, but I just don't think I've ever really shaken off that, you know... I'm still not quite really, don't fit the mould <laughs> if such a thing exists, which it doesn't, I know that. So, um, you know, what does a priest look like? It looks like um, humanity in every single way that God could possibly make humanity with all its flaws, imperfections and uh, low self-esteem. So there you go. Do you feel more priestly? No, absolutely not. I don't feel at all holy. And I'm the first person to say that I am a, I'm not a holy priest at all. I don't feel like I am one. I am very ordinary. And actually, you know, that's all right, because some of the most important work that God has ever done has been with the most ordinary people. So that's OK, actually. Um, I can say that now and I can say it with a degree of confidence, but I'll never shake that feeling of ordinariness. And actually, I'm quite glad about that. I don't want to. 
because that will lead to me being someone that I'm not. Um, I am very ordinary, um, just like everybody else. And actually, you know, people like me are called to ordain ministry because we are representative of, uh, you know, the kind of people that, that God creates. So if we were all the same, it'd be pretty boring with priesthood, wouldn't it? How are you different or how do you behave differently now to 10 years ago? I have much more awareness now of of how I inhabit the space that I'm in. Does that make sense? There are things that you just don't do as a priest. You just don't... Well, you don't go out to the pub on a Saturday night and roll around in the gutter when you've had like 15 pints, do you? <laughs> Um, that may have been me once when I was young and stupid, but um, you don't do that. You're in a, um, a a position of authority for a start off, authority that's given to you by by the church, um, whether that sits comfortably with you or not. You're called to live a, a, a life of holiness and that doesn't involve going around um, doing things that I might have done when I was younger and stupider. So, yeah, there is that. Um, there's also that people looking to you for support, guidance. And you're a semi-public profile, really. And so you're constantly under scrutiny by God as much as anybody else. It's a change of mindset that comes naturally as part of the process. It's a change of heart that comes as part of the process that committing yourself to a Christian life to um, living under God's rule for my life. If I'm okay with God, then everything else will flow out of that. Being okay with God means that there are things that you have to put to one side. That you th there are things that you have to put away and there are things that you have to um, take on. I refer to this uh, as sort of the ultimate PR job, that the fact that you are espousing the word of someone that there's no real proof with all due respect exists so how do you know that what is your belief based on I think my belief is experiential because I experienced God working in my life before I had picked up a Bible and learned scripture, before I had uh, done Bible study, before I had um, trained with other Christians and heard different points of view, different beliefs, different ways of being Christian and discerning that as far as my own call uh, to be a Christian is concerned. For me, God um, acted in my life in a way that I could actually feel. Um, more than I think um, ever picking up a Bible and reading scripture and, and then finding my faith that way. So for me, it was it was it was God most definitely working in my life in a way that I could feel that I that was tangible, that that prompted me to um, to go out and go and sit in that church up at the Abbey that prompted me to ask questions of, you know, 
who are you, God, and where are you working in my life? And what is it that you want from me? Um, without having any proof. But the very fact that you do not wake up in the morning and say, I think I fancy being a vicar today, um, <laughs> and then putting yourself through that discernment, you it, you just don't. <laughs> you really don't. Um, so it was it was action. God acted for me. Um, it was a quiet voice to start with, but one which became screamingly loud that I couldn't ignore anymore. So what does that calling feel like if you had to sum it up? A life changing yet inexplicable urge and one that you can't get away from. You just can't, no matter what you do. I think if you talk to ministers, priests, vicars about the fact that it's jokingly said that, you know, you can run but God gets you eventually. Um, you come eventually to accept that God's working in you and through you and it's just it's something that you can't ignore it's it becomes all consuming i wonder how it is for you being a female in the church and being a female in the church who wasn't somebody who was brought up in the church so whether that's made a difference to how you think and whether you bring new ideas mm. or whether it hinders you because you don't know the etiquette of the way things are done yeah, it, it's often said that, you know, people who have come to faith later on in life have um, quite a refreshing view of um, faith, Christianity, church, having not grown up with all of those trappings and being fed ways to think, ways to speak, um, that you've you've um, you've developed those ideas yourself as a as a as a thinking adult. And I think there's something in that. Um, so, yes, I was only confirmed in 2010 at the very beginning of, of my discernment journey, really. Um, but it was part of... I, I, it was something that had to happen so I could progress. In my context, particularly uh, being a curate over in Anstey and Thurkeston, um, I'm the first woman who uh, has ever been uh, a minister there. Being very much aware of the fact that I'm inhabiting a space that has been hard fought for over many, many decades by women far stronger than me who have fought to make it possible for me to stand in front of a congregation of people and take a communion service, for example, or to baptise someone's baby or to marry someone. Um, and that's something that I'm always aware of. Right at the start, you said that it all came as a surprise. So do you have more of an idea of what it's all about now? I still pinch myself that I'm a priest and that I'm still absolutely in awe of what God has done with me and how very blessed I am and how blessed I am to um, to be able to be a priest and a woman. Um, but yeah, the, the, the workload is great. The need is great. Um, and I I don't think it's a bad thing that I come back round to that every so often, 
and just kind of remind myself that, you know, there but for the grace of God really go I. Um, it's not a bad thing to do, but I have a job to do and, you know, I'll get on with it. So you said you were quirky. I know you've got tattoos. Yeah. So do you want to uh, talk through any or one of the tattoos you have? Talk through this one. It's uh, on your left forearm, left on the forearm, inside of your left forearm. Yeah, this is a moon and stars. Um, my daughter has the same tattoo. She's been pestering me for a couple of years to get this done now. Um, something that I've always said to them from the minute they were born, um, I love you all the way to the moon and back and all the stars in the sky. Simply as that. And um, actually, I really love that. I really love this one. Um, it It speaks to me of... Obviously family, but it speaks to me of, you know, how, how blessed I am that I've got children. Uh, when I know people who have struggled to have children and can't have children, so that's a huge blessing. Um, but for me, tattoos, I've got another one on my top, kind of arm across my shoulder, which is, um, I suppose, I mean, I call it my journey in uh, journey of faith tattoo. It's a, it's a night sky moon and stars again uh hands supporting all of that um significant moments in my life that have affected me at such a level that i want to keep them on my mind and so for me my the, one of the ways that i express myself is to have tats um that just remind me of the good things that I have in life. Uh, there's many ways I could do that. I could put a picture on, on the wall or I could uh, put a photograph on the mantelpiece, maybe. Um, but I wear my life story and I wear my blessings on my skin. I would like you to share a favourite or poignant verse mm -hmm. that means a lot to you. Okay. Um, when I was going through the discernment process, the one, one actually it was a psalm, nothing to do with the one I'm about to give you, but Psalm 139 is also one of my um, favourite pieces of scripture because it talks to me about how even when you doubt yourself and you aren't comfortable in your skin and you have low self-esteem, um, that God knows you and God loves you just the way you are and has known you from before you were even born so psalm 139 is is one but for me particularly the one piece of scripture that told me that uh you know just chill out about the fact that i've called you to be a priest because i've got it i've got you was um uh, from the book of isaiah uh, chapter 43 uh, verse 1 which uh, depending on which version of the bible you're reading it goes um do not fear for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. I really love that. It's just, you know, it's um, just don't worry about it. One of the biggest things, one of the things that Jesus says most often in the Bible is don't worry, do not fear, do not worry. And that's God's message to me was like, you know, I'll take care of stuff. You just get on with what I've called you to do. So I come back to that quite a lot when I'm doubting, when I'm struggling with, you know, self-esteem or stuff like that, when I'm really thinking, God, you know, I'm a terrible priest. 
<laughs> you really made a mistake here. God's like, nope, I didn't. I didn't make a mistake. Do not fear. I know what I'm doing. Does anyone else think you made a mistake or he made a mistake? No one, actually. No, not a single person's. Oh, yes, I, I, yeah, I can totally see why you're a priest. Yeah, I can see why you, even when we were in school, I could see why. So, yeah, we're often the last to know, aren't we? Birds Who Pray is a Watchware Media production.